welcome to the X Oilfield Resource Podcast with Reed Styles. I formerly worked as a reservoir engineer for a large exploration company, and in 2017, I transitioned my career to a financial tech startup and then on to an investment company. I'm fascinated by people that took their experience in the oil and gas industry and successfully applied their specialties to other careers and industries. I'm interviewing ex oil field professionals with the intention of sharing their stories to inspire others to explore new careers. Today, I'm speaking with Hudson Chen. He was a cementing engineer with a large service company. Before becoming the director of business development with Stark Recruiting Partners, he worked as a recruiter, placing geologists, landmen, engineers, executives, and numerous other people into oil field positions. During this interview, we talked about some really important things involving the recruitment process. If you're interested in becoming a recruiter and having that job as a career, Hudson has some very actionable ways you could get in with a firm very quickly. We also talked about some advice for people that might be laid off today or laid off shortly. He goes over some initial steps and day by day what he would do. Also, we discuss how you can leverage a recruiter today and begin building a relationship if and when you might need one in the future. So let's get right into the episode with Hudson. Thank you for joining me today, Hudson. I'd like to set the stage for our listeners. So can you just kind of tell me a little bit about yourself? Absolutely. Thank you so much, Reed. So my background, uh, I graduated from Vanderbilt University with a bachelor's in chemical engineering. Uh, from there, I went to become a cementing engineer uh, here domestically in the United States for two years before trying my hands to get my master's, uh, hopefully landing that lucrative ExxonMobil job where uh, entry level pays you a hundred and whatever thousand dollars a year, right? Uh, unfortunately, when I or when I started my master's, uh, oil was $108, but when I left in 2016, it was $29. So uh, my dream of going to Exxon didn't really work out uh, as I planned. Similar to a time like now, I was a little lost about what I wanted to do. And a recruiter reached out to me and said that, hey, Hudson, we actually have a role uh, as a junior recruiter. Uh, you sound great. When I met you a couple months ago, would you be interested? And I thought, well, why not? The recruiters, they're the ones that find people jobs. Maybe I can learn about this industry and then find myself a job down the line. And been here for five years. Great story. So we, I actually saw you on LinkedIn, which just goes to show you that you have a knack for marketing and telling stories. So can you tell me a story so far about LinkedIn? Uh, I know obviously that's how we met and that's how I was exposed to you, but kind of the power of LinkedIn in your current role. We're already at an age of social media and self-branding, right? It's not, it's coming, it's we're already here. So if you haven't made a brand of yourself, you're already a little late. Once I realized that a couple of years ago, I saw that as a professional, LinkedIn is really where you want to build your network. Uh, and I have multiple posts on this, if you follow me uh, on LinkedIn, that networking uh, and just being present is not so much of a, let me use it when I need it, but more so let me prepare for it and build up my network. So when I do need it, the relationship's already there. LinkedIn is a great, a great place for that. You don't have the noise of Instagram and Facebook. And of course, it's just simple and you can you know, take your time thinking about what you want to say. 
it's been interesting for me. I posted on LinkedIn for the first time in a while and, and got a whole bunch of traction on it. And I just saw that, yeah, if you're building that network and having that strong presence, you can really see dividends whenever you find something important to say. And so kind of take us back a little bit. So you're graduating from Vanderbilt, you're a chemical engineer, and then you join the oil field. Can you kind of walk us through how you got into the oil field or how you found that job? And then what was the job like? I think most undergrads, they just don't know what they want to do. Right? You, the most, first 18 of your life was really planned for you. Right? You really had very little say in it. So as with what a lot of engineers did, right? when I graduated from high school, I researched what major made the most money and chemical engineer was at the top uh this was 2004 right and why not right i want to make a lot of money let's rock and roll when i went to school uh, for chemical engineering and just went through the studies yet it was fine right there wasn't a lot of passion for it and i did a couple internships in between for it but you know it's fine right I'm, i'm there for the money right that's what i was chasing when I graduated, I interviewed with a few companies and uh, the oil field service company that I ended up working for made the highest offer plus the field bonus. About 22, 23, right out of college, I was like, wow, I can make $91,000 my first year out of school. Hell yes, sign me up. I knew nothing about oil and gas. Didn't know that there's been a service company or an operator or upstream or downstream. But I was like, whatever, right? I just figured out. Uh, once I joined, they sent me to uh, Alice, Texas, which is about three hours north of the border. And it was nothing like I expected, right? You're out in the heat, you're out in the cold, right? Um, when the company man tells you to go do something, you just do it, right? You And I went through that for about two years, right? Of just understanding what was the oil field and just, you know, work. And then I saw that, hey, I want to be the guy that's calling the shot. You know, why am I the one that's uh, that's doing all the work, right? Uh, and that's when I decided to go get my master's and when I figured out what service and operators were. Yeah, I could imagine you're on the truck or you're, you're out in Alice, Texas, and you're thinking, man, this is not the ivory tower that I had originally envisioned. <laughs> no, no, it was not. And you know, the funny thing was that so some of my classmates ended up in Shell right, or uh, Chevron, wherever, and their Friday consisted of waiting for me to send them my graphs and my notes. That was their entire day Friday. <laughs> and my, my Friday was busting my to prepare these uh, these reports for them. So I was like, yeah, let's, we need to do something about this. So you come to Houston and go to the University of Houston for your master's. Um, what was it like when you left the oil and gas industry? I know you said $120 a barrel. I'm guessing that puts it into perspective that it was a boom time. Can you kind of explain what, what it was like to be in school and then kind of the day you graduate, what was the market condition like? And this was 2014 when I decided to enroll. And I knew I wanted to be in Houston because, right, that's the energy hub of the world. When I got in, oil started to drop, right? This is August 2014, right? Um, now they're talking about layoffs or talking about how the oil and the gas market isn't going to be the same. But I had no idea it would drop the way it did. Uh, I went through the 2008, 2009 drop, but that came back within 18 months. I was like, wow, I'm perfect timing, right? I start now in about 18 to 24 months. I'll graduate. Market's right back where I started. Love it. Man, did I dodge a bullet. Uh, wrong. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. After the first semester, I would start trying to look for an internship. Right. I had a lot of traction before I went into school, and I knew people. Right. Because I worked right, 
with a big service company, so I already knew how to kind of talk to people because I had industry experience, but it was just that, right? Nobody was hiring, nobody wanted interns, and if you basically, nobody responded to anything because you were a petroleum engineer. Uh, that's how bad it was, and everyone was so preoccupied with if they were gonna get laid off that they didn't have time to worry about you, right? Before when people were open to just talking to me about advice, everybody was so friendly about, hey, uh, I love meeting you on LinkedIn, right? Let's talk. Uh, this is what I would have done if I were in school, right? Et cetera, et cetera. Now it's, I'll be lucky to get a rejection message from, right? The jobs I apply to, right? Uh, the feeling, you know, obviously wasn't good. The guys that were a year ahead of me, right? A lot of them ended up having to go back to live with their parents, right? So many people just took out loans to do this program and ended up in a much worse shape than they were before they started the program. So it was, it was not a pleasant experience. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. I mean, I think that, you know, 2016, I had a similar experience where I saw it firsthand working at ConocoPhillips. And we've gone through kind of your oil field days. You qualified <laughs> for what you thought would be an office engineering <laughs> job. Now you're yeah. in more of a marketing sales type of position. So can you explain your current role or kind of your role as a recruiter after being an engineer? What was it like? And I'll give you a little more background story to this as well. I think a lot of people will have similar experiences as the one I have that they got into the oil field, not because they knew what it was, but more so it was attracted by the, whether it's the Western movies or it's just word of mouth or they knew somebody who was a petroleum engineer or a geologist and they just made a lot of money right so it's some combination of that that got them into the oil field and i think what was happening when we heard this story to where it is now it's a completely different market so and i think that's you know i applaud you for starting this uh, podcast uh, Reed, because i think this is so relevant to what it is today because our perception of the oil field is no longer the same or at least the perception we had to where things are now, there is an element that people need to start accounting for. And I got into recruiting, not because of, uh, I love recruiting, but because there just were no jobs for what I was good for, right? Nobody needed cementing engineers, nobody needed cementing equipment, right? People were canceling their orders left and right, right? This up and down cycle is gonna continuously to happen as we move more and more away from, or oil, right? As more and more companies are wanting to be more green, right? And that's now even a marketing strategy for Shell and Chevron, you see, that they are talking about how they can be more green from an oil and gas company, right? That's unheard of. Like, what are you doing? That's really not, that's not even your market. That's actually the opposite of your market. And now that's a selling point. So the industry is going to really change. And if you, right, if you love oil and gas, you're like, this is exactly what I love. And I just breathe frack heights, right? How much propane I can put into each fracturing height, right? Or I love reserve estimation. I love PTT work, right? If that's you, keep going, man, because you're going to succeed. But if you are thinking about, hey, are there something else, right? Or do I have skills that's transferable to something else? I can tell you right now, there are so many industries that pay better than oil and gas, and they have a better job stability. Let's talk about the first part where we're talking about your new job as a recruiter. So if someone was an engineer and wanted to become a recruiter, what are some things that you look for that make a really good recruiter that maybe an engineer, a geologist, or a landman might have? Recruiting, specifically to what I do, is sales. Uh, and 
the biggest hurdle to recruiting, the starting pay is so low. I almost don't recommend people to do it unless you just believe in yourself and you think this is really what you're going to be good at. Because I had to take a 50% cut from my initial job to co- to become a recruiter. And I don't know how many people can actually sustain that, especially if in a couple months you realize this is not what I like and I don't even really like sales. There are a lot of technical sales out there that have a really high base. That may be a better route. But uh, recruiting, right, like all sales positions, is more about how can you articulate your words, right? What do you bring value? What kind of value you can present to the other person? Uh, and I'm a firm believer in what I'm going to do for you. You're going to be able to have five times more value than what I'm charging you to get. And that's a mentality you need to have to be a recruiter or really anything in sales to be able to show the client why working with you is so beneficial for them, possibly more beneficial for them than it is for you. No, that's really interesting. Can you give an example of maybe what it's like in that sales process when you're showing them the 10X of growth? Like maybe like an example, I did this for this client so that people kind of understand exactly what recruiters do. I mean, my suspicion is some people are even working with recruiters right now if they're listening <laughs> to this podcast. But No, absolutely. So let's take, uh, let's just use a refinery as example, right? So hypothetically speaking, uh, you have a good tenured production engineer, right? And he quits, right? And without this person in this role, you have a deficit of manpower. Right. Um, other people have to take uh, on responsibilities. Right. Some work are just not going to get done. Right? How much is it to keep a refinery operational? Right. A hundred thousand dollars a day. Right. How much does a production engineer make? Right. In comparison. Right. Yes, it's part of the PNL, but almost negligible in comparison to the operation itself. So. If you have a production engineer that's not in his not that doesn't have his butt in his chair, each day is costing the company money because of possible one reduction in production, b they did not coordinate with the maintenance well enough so that there's unnecessary downtime, right? Or they may be on a progression right where this person what was going to be the manager down the line, right? So that chain is broken. And of course, you uh, take into account for things just like uh, you're not overworking other people because this person isn't there, right? So all these things that add together is hard to define for a company how much value it is, but it's very clear that they're missing this and it is affecting them. So uh, with that being said, if I were to talk to, say, the production manager, Right. And say, hey, hey, uh, Mr. Production Manager, right? I see that Bob quit, right? Uh, there's a vacancy in your in your department, right? Are do you have any candidates already in play, right? Is HR doing a great job of finding the person you need to replace Bob? And when a lot of time the answer is no, because Right, somebody who has worked in that specific unit, who understands that piece of it, the a lot of of these guys don't apply for jobs. Right, think about uh, when you have a steady job, you, it's not on your mind to apply for a new job unless something goes wrong. 
right? You are more focused on, well, you know, I have a date here, right? I have, and my kids are doing this, right? I don't even have enough time for the stuff I have to do. Like, I don't really care what ZipRecruiter matches me up with, right? That email is getting deleted. I don't care. So uh, at this point is when the production manager may say, you know what, Hudson? Yeah, I do need some help with this. Because even if I save, say, three weeks of time for finding somebody earlier to do this job, this three weeks saves me more money than what I'm paying you. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's probably best case scenario. Yeah. And so. there's jobs you see online. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Okay. So I totally understand where you're coming from in that the faster you get the person recruited and in the, the job, the less downtime that could happen. Also, you're yes. more of a specialist in that you're used to working with these engineers and you've built up relationships with them. So you could easily, you know, tell them about the job. Whereas if they right. went on ZipRecruiter or wherever, um, LinkedIn premium or whatever, they'd have to figure out and find the job themselves. Um, so what, what advice would you have for someone that might be in that situation and saying, Oh, uh, Hudson's a recruiter. I can just reach out to him to find a job. How, how would you recommend people find a good recruiter or find a good recruitment firm to work for? Uh, I do want to uh, clear up a misconception. Uh, I think that the general public, and to be honest, I had no idea until I started working in recruiting. So recruiters, we are paid by the company. If you think about it from motivation perspective, right? The person who pays our bills are the ones we align our interests to, right? So when, say, Chevron gives me a, a job uh, that they're trying to fill, right? That is the profile I need to find. If you don't have that profile and you say, hey, Hudson, I'm really interested in this. Can you submit me for this role anyway, right? Odds are if you don't check at least four out of 10 boxes, I can't present you because the whole point of somebody paying me for my service is so I only present candidates that they're looking for, right? If so, you know, it, it, it sometimes it hurts a little bit right, to tell somebody, hey, you know, I know you need a job, but, and I know you really want this position, but here are the 10 things they want. You don't, you may have one or two of them. It's, you're just not qualified for the role that this position is looking for. So, uh, you know, what would recruiters do, right? Well, what I think what good recruiters do is that when people do reach out to me and say, you know, I'm interested in this, I always try to respond back to everyone and give them a feedback on why they're not qualified and what I'm seeing in the market that may help them in their job search. So, I hope that clears it up a little bit. I think there is a big misconception there because people feel like, you know, recruiters are almost like real estate agents. It's like, oh, I have my skills and Mm -hmm. you're just trying to sell this house. You're trying to sell my skills. And it's Mm -hmm. more like the other way around. It's more like I'm looking for these specific skills and I can only submit a few candidates to these people that, you know, really fit the description. So if you're not in that upper tier, then, you know, I'm sorry, you're not going to be the person that I would put at the top of the stack to give to them, right? Right, and to elaborate a little more on that, like hiring managers only really wanna see maybe eight candidates tops 
are of resumes, and from there they'll pick anywhere from four to six. So if I'm if you look at this from my perspective or a recruiter's perspective, if I'm bombarding hiring managers with a bunch of resumes, right, and quite a few of them not qualified for the role, they will call and question my ability to do my job, right? And when I first started, and I really didn't know this, so I did present people that weren't qualified because I thought, oh my gosh, he, you know, he really wants this job and he seems really enthusiastic and, and I, you know, I just like him as a person. And I will present these. The hiring managers didn't take very favorably to that because they have their own job. And when it comes to recruiting, right, it's really something that I have to do because we're missing this. Doing this does not negate me from doing the rest of my responsibilities, like actually the production part, right? Actually helping maintenance do X, Y, and Z, right? Actually uh, going and procure or work with procurement to get X amount of uh, raw material for cheaper, right? So these are things they have to do. Recruitment is actually like an extra task that we have to we have to do in addition to the other stuff I have to do. No, this interview is going in two great ways. The first is I want to talk about the actual job of a recruiter, if a listener was interested in being a recruiter, what exactly would their first steps be to getting a job as a recruiter? Absolutely. So recruiting, uh, if you look at most of recruiters' profile, uh, some graduated from college, some didn't. The bar to entry is pretty low. Uh, and there's, if you re- even research or type in recruiter on LinkedIn, you're going to get like two billion hits. Main thing about recruiting, and I think what an engineer or a technical professional would have is their understanding of what they will be recruiting for. That's a huge advantage. Most recruiters have no idea what they're recruiting for. Believe it or not, that is not what makes a recruiter successful. What makes a recruiter successful is the grind and being able to navigate through a sales conversation. So if you're strong, if you're an introvert, I would not think this would be a great path just because you have so many other options that that could, has a higher probability of finding happiness and success. But if you are an extrovert and you do think that hey, I want to sell, right, and I do want to uh, really help people in the process and make a difference, then you just have to go and do it and just understand that your first year or two, you're going to take a pay cut. You're going to believe in yourself and work 60 hours a week and learn the trade, right? build up these relationships. If you do that, to be honest, if you do that with any industry, you're gonna succeed no matter what, right? <laughs> yeah, I think yeah. that I think that's gonna be a common thread in a lot of this is yeah. if you're super fired up and super motivated, you're gonna figure it out, which is yep. a positive one. I mean, I think that a lot of people need to hear that. What are some specific job titles that if they're looking on LinkedIn jobs or somewhere that, that would be a recruiter type of job? Is it just recruiter? What search terms should they look for? If you actually want to be a recruiter, which I'm going to give you an exercise right now. If you want to be a recruiter, you do this. You find a recruiting firm and you call the owner. Call the main office and say, I would like to speak to the owner or the or the branch manager, right? the highest level person in there. And when they ask you what's this regarding, you give them a 30 second or 45 second pitch on why you, should, you want to be a recruiter. So at this point, you probably would have had to done some research, right? You have to know what recruiting is. And if you were to be a recruiter, what kind of recruiter you will actually want to be. So if you're a geologist, you probably say, I want to recruit for oil and gas, right? Because I understand oil and gas, right? Uh, Every owner will respect that. If you do that and you do a good job with it, you don't even need a resume. Yeah, that's a good point. So the the whole idea is if you're willing to put in the work and start at the bottom, 
and learn everything, you're probably qualified if you are a petrotechnical expert. Correct. And recruiters with most outside sales and some most inside sales as well, right? you're making calls a lot. So you're speaking on the phone a lot or Zoom or similar to this podcast. So if you can present represent yourself very well over the phone, you're qualified. Okay, so we're, we're, we've, we hit the fork and we went down the first path, which was if people are interested in being a recruiter. And so I want to jump on the other path because I think this one's also powerful for people. If let's let's take the simple example, I'm a petroleum engineer at a large E&P company. How how can I best reach out to a recruiter or start building that relationship? What do you think the best route is? So I think the best route is to if you're not actively looking for a job but you want to progress, right? Usually there has to be a motivation for somebody to do this, right? Because if you're happy with your job, you're like maybe a year into your job and you want to stay where you're at, it, there's not a whole lot of motivation for you to reach out to recruiters because recruiters probably reach out to you every day, right? About jobs here and there, uh, random stuff. So it's, I always recommend people to have conversations, right? You don't have you know, like a 15 minute cost and really ask a recruiter a question, right? And say, not so it's like, yeah, you already know what you bring to the table, right, as a petroleum engineer, but as a recruiter, what they can provide for you, right? So you want somebody call me and say, hey, Hudson, like, if you place me, you're going to get paid, right? If I move change jobs and I'm going to get, you're going to get a check, not, you know, with my name on it, but really with my name on it. What kind of opportunities do you bring, right? Well, what's your market and tell me about your background. And from there, you're almost gauging how good they are, right? Uh, similar to finding a realtor, right? If you're uh, speaking to a realtor and you're asking them about, hey, tell me about the market, tell me about downtown Houston, tell me about the heights, right? Well, what can you tell me? What what are trends? And they just have nothing to say, and they're like, oh, you know, price has been price has been good. It's a buyer's market right now. Uh, I think you should buy. Uh, when do you want to meet? It's like, no, bro. Like recruiters are the same, right? If you ask them about the market, uh, tell me about the latest news, right? Did you see that weather for laid off? like uh, 25% of their staff or whatever it is, right? If they don't, they can't tell you industry knowledge. This recruiter, you may just want to say, you know, let's stay in touch, right? They, they could get better, right? People get better all the time. And they, they could be, it could be their first day. It could be their first six months. You really want to talk to the people. You want to build a relationship with the people that have been in there in a while. They are active on LinkedIn and they can actually bring you value, right? Because at a certain point, the people we keep in our lives have to bring us some value, whether that's I just have a good time with you, right? Whether that's we, uh, when we are together, right? Uh, you give me advice on like financial, we can talk about relationships, right? You know, we have kids at the same age, right? Whatever it is, they have to bring, provide some value for you to keep them in your life. And recruiters are no different. Uh, I have four or five dozen candidates that I've spoken to or worked with, right? They call me just talk about the market or they say, hey, did you hear that X, Y, and Z, right? Um, I probably talk to these guys once a quarter. We just keep each other updated on here and there. And when one of them say, you know what, Hudson, you know, I, something changed in my organization. I'm not actively looking, but please keep me in mind for X, Y, and Z. These people are the ones that's going to be at the top of my list. And every time I see something, whether that's because I have the role or even if it's uh, a role that somebody else has, I would still tell them about it. Right. I can't help them with it, but I'm giving them leads to their next position. So as with all relationships, right, you're building. And when you're actually in need of it, that's when you use it. 
I think the question about, you know, how long, like, let's say I'm, I'm in a job right now, or I'm just about to get, like, I'm in a job and things are looking rocky, or I get laid off, you know, within the next 30 days, you know, how much time does this stuff usually take? I mean, in my experience with my, what, with my current job, it took, you know, two years of just slow, steady searching to really find this role. Is there kind of a timeline you tell people and say, you know, if you put your full-time effort into this, you tried every single day, you made calls, you networked, how long does it take to find a new job typically? So here is, this will differ vastly, right, between person and person. If you really need a job and, you're, and your mentality is, I will do whatever it takes to get a job, you will find it very, very soon. Uh, and when I say that, it's because you will be methodical about it. Right. You will think about if I'm applying to, should I say I have a resume, right? I am, I applied to 40 jobs, not a single person responded back, right? Only one person responded back and it's a no thank you, right? And the first thing you probably think is, what am I doing wrong, right? And you're taking that engineering approach to it, right? That problem solving analytical approach to say, clearly something's wrong with my resume or the market just doesn't bear this job, right? But if you're applying to 40 jobs, Right. Odds are there's something there, right? Otherwise, you're gonna have to apply to 40 jobs that's uh, that you think you're qualified for. We're not counting things that say, hey, you know, something says a project engineering construction, and you've been a geologist. These jobs don't count, right? Because you're flat out not qualified for it, right? You have no experience in it. But if you're applying for jobs you're actually qualified for, and these aren't, you're not getting the response you need, then is there something wrong with my resume, right? Am I not using the keywords, right? Is the applicant tracking their internal system? taking me out, right? Am I not using good grammar, right? Uh, I see countless resumes. Right? Actually, this one this morning, a guy screwed up his dates. And he, you know, on his date, it, he stopped working about a year ago, but he just screwed up 2019 with 2020. And he's been sending this resume out for, for like the last three weeks. When I reply back to him, he was shocked that he could have missed right, uh, April 2020 with April 2019. But that's a catastrophic mistake, especially if you're entry level or is, uh, you're you know, early in your career. That's a difference between six months working and a year and a half of working. That's two totally different people. Understanding what asset and what value bring to the table, that's the first and foremost thing. And once you know that, being able to navigate, right, and say, you know, who can help me, right? And whether that's recruiters, whether that's hiring managers, whether that's engineering managers that you want to work for, right? Start reaching out to them. And if you're active on LinkedIn or on email and just calling them and just talking to as many people as you can, you will get a job. People look at it this way. If you have the balls to call an engineering manager from Chevron, right? And you say, hey, Mr. Hiring Manager, uh, my name is uh, so-and-so. I was recently laid off from X, Y, and Z. I think I would be a great fit for your organization. Right here is what I have accomplished at Shell. Can I have five, 10 minutes to talk with you? I just want to talk about, I just want to pick your brain on the state of the market. Now, you're not even talking about job. I'm not, I'm not asking for a job. Most people will say, yeah, man, no, I don't know. Or they say, I don't have time now. Can we reschedule a time? Because you already, people don't want to say no to other people, especially if they know you're in the same industry. And people, and if you say, I found your profile on LinkedIn, 
then they even more have to speak because you know where you can find me again, right? So they feel bad and will talk to you. So what what just happened? You got an interview. You just got yourself an interview from that call. You know, the conversation could lead to, hey man, we're not hiring. But they now they remember you, you follow up with an email, right? You ask them for the contact information at the end, and then you ask them, uh, is it okay if I follow up with you in a couple of weeks just to see if things have changed? If you take all these approaches, right, there and you go through 40, 80 of these people, these managers, directors, VPs, even CEOs, somebody, just pure probability-wise, they will be hiring, about to hire, know somebody who's hiring, or think you're just a great kid or a great person that they're going to find a way to fit you into their organization somehow. Yeah, I love that. I love the idea of just this being a probability play. It's like if you're desperate and you put or you're very diligent and you put 40 hours a week into something and do it over and over and over, there's pro you're probably going to get a nibble on the line at some point. Absolutely. So let's talk about um, some resources that you can use to find jobs. So we talked about the actual role of being a recruiter. And it sounds like through five years of blood, sweat, and tears, you've gotten to this point where you've kind of moved on from the recruiter level. You're more of probably a sales executive or more of a director of the business development. Um, right. So what resources can people use to actually find jobs or find opportunities? You know, say, let's, let's take it back in time. Let's say you're Hudson and you just got laid off today mm -hmm. and you're in this market today. What, where would you start looking? So the first advice I would give to anybody who's actively looking for a new role, right, is take a day off. Think about what qualities you have that will bring value to an organization. Right? Just take an inventory of yourself, whether and, and I mean everything, right? That's, you know, I'm a good geologist. I'm a good data analyst, right? Uh, I know Spotfire, whatever it is, right? I'm, a, a, I'm punctual, right? I, I'm great at dealing with people, right? I, I'm an extrovert. I can talk to anyone. Whatever it is, just make a whole list of that. And once you know what you bring to the table, then look at a company or companies that you want to work for or you think uh, can use some of your skill set. And depending on where you are, or you know, is it, is it like I just need a I just need a job, or is it I really want a specific job, right? Uh, you can change the range of that. But once you find uh, a company or two that you really want, look at your resume and see if that resume is a is a good representation of that list of skill set you just listed. If that resume looks very different than that than that list, you need to get your resume redone. And that's a first step, right? Know what you bring to the table and have a good resume that shows what you bring to the table. Once you have that, right? So this is still like probably day two or three, right? of your job search, start firing the resumes off. A lot of people uh, are not good with uh, with resume writing, and a lot of people are not good with just, just how to do it overall. So if that's your case, you may want to pay for somebody to do it because it's a lot to take in. And most resume services, I think most good ones are you know, like between 150 to 250 bucks. I know that's kind of expensive for somebody who just lost their job, right, especially. But that will save you so much time if you don't do it, not doing it right will be so much more costly than this 150 to 250 bucks. Right? Oh, you know what? Actually, I did forget something else. One, the moment you get laid off, file for unemployment and reach out to your network right? uh, just to see who's around. Right? Don't ever be ashamed to 
call up somebody you haven't talked to in 12 years and just say, hey, how are things going? It's been a while since we last spoken, right? Just wanted to catch up. I just saw that you, I was scrolling through my phone. I saw your name. Just wanted to say hi and catch up. And from there, you don't want to start with, hey, I lost my job, man, can you help me? Right? Nobody's very receptive to that, especially if you haven't talked to them in a while. Be a little more tactful about it, right? See, you know, how, you know, how's Tracy? How have you guys been? Right? But whatever it is, right? What are you doing now? And once that's warm, warmed up, then you know, navigate how you want to tell them. If you know anybody, if your company is hiring, I would love to uh, put my name in the hat. That's really day one or day, day two. After day three, right, you have your resume ready. You know your skill set. Fire off your resume to as many people as you can, right? Go through LinkedIn, go through your email to see how many recruiters have actually reached out to you, right, from the last five, eight years that you haven't, you've been deleting their email, right? Reply all back to all of them. So I still get uh, in LinkedIn uh, messages back from, you know, 2015, 2016 from, <laughs> from people. Nothing, didn't need you at the time, right? It's okay, right? <laughs> It'd be a little thick skin, right? So, um, let them know, hey, um, I would love to talk to you. Right? Um, I'm recently open to new opportunities. I'm in the market now. Why don't we have a chat? Right? Are you free? Man, let's get on a call. And just talk to as many people as you can. And I can't stress this enough. The more touches you have right, with the human, not just applying online is one factor, but each touch, each interaction you have with the human, that's when it counts. That somebody heard your story. Somebody acknowledged what you're looking for. Somebody in a position to help you heard your story. That counts as one. Applying to 40 jobs, getting no responses, effectively that's zero. Yes, like your resume is out there, right, in the in the world somewhere, right? And your chances are not technically zero. Right? But in terms of a mindset, you have to count that as zero until you know a human has seen your profile. Um, so that's uh, day three or four. You fired off these resumes, right? Um, at, at first, you don't have to be as like crazy about it uh, because I'm pretty sure there's tight end uh, things you have to t- tidy up, and there's other things that are going on. Uh, so take the week off, right? Just think about what you actually want to do. Fire some resumes off to people, right? Um, but if you have no traction in two weeks, three weeks, um, or you know, just the volume of effort you put in did not get the value that you were expecting, this is where you have to be more diligent. Right? And think about what did I do? Where could things have gone wrong? Why am I not getting the results that I'm looking for? And almost reverse engineer back to see if I were the hiring manager, right? And this is job description. I'm looking at my resume. Would I? And if the answer is no, right? If I was a hiring manager, I wouldn't even call this resume. Or maybe I'll call this resume. I don't know. I hope I'll call this resume. Then it's probably a no. If it's not a definitive, I would call this resume if I was a hiring manager for this position, then you need to work on the tactics of how you find a job. Step number one, you're saying file, file unemployment and start reaching out to friends and start that, getting that ball rolling. I think a lot of people are get like too prideful about doing unemployment and, and asking friends for help, but I think that's the number one thing you should do. It seems so, so simple and, and it, it also takes alleviates some stress in other areas too. You start yeah. recouping part of your income, and then you also start getting the word out there. And I feel like if you're talking to friends and colleagues and people you know, 
then you're going to get warmed up on your pitch, which ultimately helps when you actually get in the interview and you're really nervous and there's something on the line. So I, I love that idea. And then the second thing was after you do that, you're taking an inventory of your skills. So you're writing down technical things, software, I think you said um, uh, any like personal characteristics about yourself. Are you self-motivated? Like maybe some hobbies that are pertinent to business. And then you're making a resume and each resume, if you make it yourself, you're spending a ton of time on it and making sure that you tick a lot of the boxes that would be on a keyword search or a LinkedIn job post. And then if you're searching for a specific job, you're making a specific resume for the job. I remember you mentioned that. Yes. And then finally, you're go jumping on LinkedIn, you're emailing back those recruiters that were spamming you for years that you never talked to, and you're building that relationship. And ultimately, it's a game of probability. You're probably not going to get the first job that you interview, interview for, and so you should probably spam this out, talk to a lot of people, be okay with being told no, and keep retooling and reverse engineering your resume until you get the job you want. Absolutely. I think that's a great summary. Yeah. Thanks for walking me through that. So let's let's kind of cap things off. How can uh, people get in contact with you? Do you have a specific ask for my audience? Is it possible to have my email or LinkedIn profile at the in the podcast or somewhere on the bottom? Yeah, absolutely. So we'll make sure that it's linked in the description of the podcast. You can reach out to Hudson directly on LinkedIn or email him. What what type of people are you you specifically looking to place, or can you specifically help? What I'm looking for are more technical, so a degree is usually required. Uh, doesn't have to be an engineering degree, uh, but a college degree is usually needed, uh, or sales. So if you are very strong in sales and you, you know, your company just didn't do well, right? but uh, I would love to, these are the core of my business. Uh, but anyone can reach out to me right? if you, one year of experience right, working as a cement, field hand or whatever and, and you're like I just how do I make some of my experience translate or transferable to another industry right uh, I would love to talk to anyone and help anyone uh, it may take me a little bit to get back uh, but I promise uh, I will respond back to everyone that messages me all right so chemical engineers salespeople anyone that could work in yep. a downstream environment or chemicals, right? Or food production, pharmaceutical, uh, maintenance engineers, HSE, right? The whole gambit. If you work in a facility, I can probably help you. Well, Hudson, thank you so much for joining me today. I know we have so much to talk about, and there's no doubt we're going to have another podcast follow up at some point because I know that we're going to have people that reach out, and, and we always want to tell people about recruiting and how to find jobs. And I just thought you were a perfect person to talk about having both oil field experience, leaving the oil field, and then now obviously directly tied to getting new jobs. So thank you for taking the time. 